0: The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Brown. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode and hope you're having a good end of your week. I know I am. It's a Friday as this episode drops. I'm not sure when you're listening to it, but the idea is I put them out Just before the weekend, so you can listen to it on Friday or over your weekend. Uh, And this is this is a cool interview series, or not series, I guess. This is just a cool interview that I'm dropping today. That um, I did, gosh, about a month ago. Um, I had the chance to go up to the iHeart Studios up in Burbank, California, and um, you a while back, uh, early on, I think it was like episode five, maybe. Go back in the archives and check out this episode with Maggie Mayfield. Um, Maggie Mayfield's a comedian. And, well, a comedian. She's also a radio producer, and she produces a show on Coast 103.5 FM, which Coast is owned by iHeartMedia. Um, so I, it was really cool. I had a chance to go up there, and I had her on the podcast. She came into my studio. Uh, so that was episode five. Just check that out if you want to. Uh, it's awesome. We had a blast, and you really learn a lot about uh, about life through a comedian's eyes. Now, I've known Maggie for, gosh, I mean, almost 20 years, 15 to 20 years, and Uh, She introduced me to a really, really special guy named Chad Ridgely. Now, Chad is also a comedian. Now, I usually don't, I mean, I say usually, I've had one comedian on so far, and I'm going to have a second one. Um, This interview is really about, for me, I think, when you look into, like, entrepreneurism, the spirit of, what entrepreneurism is to me is the spirit of making your own way, the spirit of, of creating a vision casting a vision and getting other people to follow and say yeah I get that and a comedian I think is truly one of the hardest uh, roads to hoe as far as as entrepreneurship goes because you need to you know you think something's funny and then you need to work on it and get it just right and then have someone else buy into it and go yeah I think that's funny too and not just that but have the right people do it so I love this and any chance I get give me some feedback Um, follow me at social media course at Matt Browning and let me know uh, if you like this kind of an interview or not I think it's really really valuable and really useful for us that are trying to make our own ways and whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're not I hope that you know if you found this podcast um, really what we strive to uh, teach and talk about in the interviews I bring on it's really about You know, being inspired and finding out the origin stories of what made people who were just going after it, right, going after it in life and business, what makes them tick and what brought them to the dance. So today... You're going to meet a really cool guy named Chad Ridgely. Now, this is an interesting story because we're going to get into some of his backstory. Now, sure, he's a comedian now. Uh, he studied at the Growlings, uh, same place where Will Ferrell, John Lovitz, Phil Hartman, Lisa Kudrow, you know, some of the biggest names in comedy have studied. Groundlings is, is a very, very famous um, comedy club or comedy school. He's also produced his own, uh, television pilot, uh, called the Chad Ridgley show. And this is a cool story. He, he tells us how Fox approached him and said, Hey, I saw some other things you did. And Fox actually paid for and produced, uh, his pilot, the Chad Ridgely show. Now the pilot never took off, but I don't know about you. How cool would it be to have Fox call you and say, I want to produce a pilot to see if we can do something with this. So at that point he knew he was on the right track, um, we get into his writing, his producing. Uh, he's an actor, and he stars in some of his own movies he's put on. He's done two really cool uh, horror comedy movies, and that's a, a tough genre to hit, right? That kind of—I I don't mean an offense in this, but you know the the B um, horror movie or B horror film comedy genre. It's. Uh, it's, it's difficult to get right, and uh, and Chad did really, really well with them. Uh, I watched them both. Um, pretty funny, so we'll talk about those, uh, and I'll talk about that at the end of it all. Um, but not only that, here's the interesting thing. He's a comedian, and you're going to find out, again, all of his backstory, how he grew up, um, what his parents were like, and it'll shock you. Uh, it'll absolutely shock you because most comedians that I've run into, um, they have a childhood that, that demands that they get funny or die, basically. Um, They've been through some kind of a trauma. And, well, you know, Chad's been through his his share of stuff, but um, he shares about what it was like growing up in actually a pretty supportive household. So you learn about his parents a little bit. And then because in the middle of college certain reasons, he decided to change his major, and he's going to tell you about how he actually ended up in law enforcement for 10 years. He wanted to produce film, he wanted to do comedy, but he ended up being a cop for over 10 years. He's been a police academy instructor, police firearms instructor, Uh, he's trained with many local and federal agencies, a bunch of those three-letter agencies that I'm not allowed to say on air, so just, you know, whatever those are. Um, and then he went from, as a police officer, as he started going down the road of comedy, um, he'll share some interesting stories from Executive Protection, where he went into the bodyguard business. He was actually a bodyguard uh, for Michael Jackson. And he, he he's going to share uh, how close to even Michael's passing that he was still working there. It was within weeks. Um, and you're going to love the name that Michael Jackson called Chad when he needed to get his attention. It was... <laughs> it was quite good uh, he went from there to another detail that uh, and, that he, he's actually still uh, doing some work with so he can't talk about it on air um, but he went from there and he actually had a, jo- a job at the playboy mansion as well so he shares some of the stories um, from nearly five years working protection at the playboy mansion so interesting interesting cat um, and a load of fun we we had a blast, and this was again recorded in the iHeart Studios in Burbank. So that was a lot of fun as well to, to sit. Uh, Maggie let us in. Um, I had just actually produced and done some things with Maggie um, at at her coast office, and then we walked in and did um, we did her podcast, which you can find. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, her podcast is Why Tunes Shuffle. So I uh, they her and her ho- uh, co host interviewed me. Uh, right then, and then Chad met us all the way down from Malibu. He was working, uh, came down to Burbank, and then we got to record my podcast uh, in the iHeart studio. So that was that was a kind of big deal for me. That was really really cool. Uh, so if, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll you know what I will. I'll put up some pictures on social media. I don't think I've put that many up, uh, so I'll put up a few pictures of us hanging out in studios. An absolute blast. So without any further ado, I've rambled enough. You're gonna have a great week. You're gonna have a great weekend. Let's get into this interview this week. With Chad Ridgely. So Chad, we made it. I have been dreaming of this moment ever since the first day I met you. <laughs> <laughs> that might sound weird, but don't let it be. I en- I really have. Like, uh, You are dating a dear friend of mine, uh, Maggie Mayfield, who is also a veteran on the pod. Um, and I met you first when I had Maggie speak at one of my seminars and you came out and I just remember the first thing I thought is, that's a good looking dude and he's really funny and he seems like a great guy. And I was so happy for both of you. Uh, and then I was instantly intrigued by wanting to know more about you. I was in the middle of producing my own event, so I didn't have a lot of time to, to really get to know you. And so I'm excited that we get a chance to come down. We're doing this right now, by the way, since you can't, no one can see this. We're doing this at the iHeart Studios. Uh, that Maggie also allowed us to use. Hi Maggie. Hi. Th- thanks for the help. And uh, so that's where you know she's on Coast 103.5 FM and we're using the studios right now. How
1: cool is that? It's amazing. It really, really is. So without any further ado, Chad, welcome to the pod. How are you, man? Thank you, Matt. I am good. I'm happy to be here and uh, I remember meeting you at that uh, seminar and I was also very impressed. When did you get such a voice for radio? My goodness, do you do you hear this? Puberty. <laughs> Puberty is when that happened. Um, prior to that, what was your would, voice for radio People would that? call my house and mistake me for my mother, which would anger me to no end as a 11 year old or 12 year old all the time i remember a telemarketer calling my house and i answered the phone hello and they said is this the lady of the house and i was like (laughs) no
0: this is our son
1: exactly uh hi sandy no no this is chad this is chad (laughs) oh sorry can you not
0: tell (laughs) so how do you not notice now chad is this your real voice Is this the podcast voice or is this like, do you walk around all day long saying, hello, I am Chad Ridgely.
1: I've found it's so much more effective in life to just speak to people like this. (laughs) Sir, could you tell me where the macadamia nuts are?
0: (laughs) Can you give me the movie preview voice guy? Tell me you can
1: do that. Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) This summer, they had a plan to rule the world, but they didn't expect one man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Chad Ridgeley is Jack in Massacre on Isle 12. All right. <laughs> which is the perfect
0: plug, is I want to get to that. <laughs> um, you 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 do it all, which is so interesting to me. So as an entrepreneur myself, um, like to me I focus on kind of like one thing. Like my business is I, I produce seminars, I do coaching, I write books, I do podcast. I guess I do a lot of things. I get—we're kind of the same person. We are in, in a lot of ways, yeah. but but my business is different than your business. So in mine, I'm I do a lot of upfront. Uh, I almost I call it like retail selling, right? So in life coaching, people get into it because they want to do coaching and they want to help people. But the truth is, you have to be really good at sales because you need to convince someone that they should do life coaching with you. Right. Sure. So it's a sales job, and I know you sell yourself in a lot of ways, but it's it's very different in that. You, like you're, you you want to get yourself pitched onto maybe onto a show or onto a movie or uh, you're gonna pitch an investor to invest in a movie you want to write and produce or you've written uh, you know whatever it is. it's kind of like one big sale in a way. but you do so many things you have to be good at uh, between stand-up comic, uh, improv work, writing, directing, starring, uh, everything that you do. How old were you when you first thought, I'm going to do this for a living. Was it a, a, a dream as a boy or was it a dream of a man? <laughs> hey, wh- <laughs> wh- when did
1: you think you, I, I want to get into this side of the business, whatever that was. Ever since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be involved in the entertainment industry in some way. I knew I wanted to be an actor. I was always in the school play. And then in the summer, I would be enrolled in these summer things down at the library where you you do plays and acting and uh, my grandmother gave me an 8 millimeter film camera when I was 8, and uh, I made my first film. Wow. It was, uh, at the time, I thought it was amazing. I actually edited it by splicing the film together with, like, one of those things. You had to look through a glass and then... Like, so physical splicing phys- the physically film. Physically spliced the film. Wow. And it was, uh, it was terrible. Um, but uh, I always knew that I was going to be a filmmaker. We explain film, physical film, to someone who's under 25? Okay, so in the old days, um, they used to take moving pictures on a camera that had 35 millimeter film. Uh, In this case, I was using 8 millimeter film, which is smaller. And uh, you just make the film, and then when you cut it together, you you couldn't do it in Adobe Premiere or Final Cut. It wasn't digital, so you would actually physically have to splice right splice the film together. And then, did you like tape it? Yeah, how, they how did, used like a special splicing tape that wow. was designed specifically for that. What a cool! So you were doing, you were splicing films at eight years old. Well, not well, yeah, just that one. I mean, <laughs> was, I wasn't doing it for a living at that point. <laughs> I was just, I was just, just, just that, that one film, time. just my one. What, what, what um, was the film? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I, I made a war picture. Um, so, really? <laughs> yes. Um, how long was it? I think it was about ten minutes, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a war picture. It's me and all my eight-year-old friends from the neighborhood, and uh, we just shot this thing. And I used like model tanks and model army men, and that I set them on fire. And I had one that drove over a landmine and blew up. And you can really just see the string pulling the (laughs) pulling the vehicle forward. And then I put it over a firecracker. So we lit a firecracker and <laughs> blew this thing up. So, this is special effects. Yeah. It, I love it's it. It's amazing special effects. Uh, it was very funny, although as an eight-year-old, I was considered myself a serious filmmaker. So it wasn't funny to me, but no. it's hilarious. And I still have it. I still have it. It's... I got to say too
0: so so I have I have a 7-year-old son and he's just getting old enough that we're starting to watch some of the films from the 80s uh-huh. that I grew up on right. I was born in 79 so like you know in the 80s late 80s especially 90 like that's when like the heyday of Gremlins and Honey I Shrunk the Kids and uh Flight of the Navigator like you know films that like as a kid those are the ones I remember mm-hmm. so I'm starting to show him those movies and he's loving it and I don't think your special effects are
1: that much worse than some of those. No, I don't think so either. I think I think there was. If uh, not, I mean, better maybe. I think there was a, a definitely a, a couple of firecracker scenes in Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah, mine was not as widely distributed. Unfortunately, he uh, had to come to my house. We had to get the film projector that my dad would borrow from the school where he was a, a, a at the time a, an administrator, and then we'd watch it at home.
0: Where where uh, where did you grow up?
1: Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. So I was born in D.C. and grew up there, and both my parents uh, were educators. So I grew up, but they had the summers off, which was great. So, um, and they were very supportive of the whole acting thing. As a kid, not when it came time to, like, make life decisions. Right? No, not, yeah. <laughs> once, it, once it hit 18, it's like, well, what are you going to do for real? Yeah, no. Did you have once, that conversation That was them? for real. Uh, yeah. Um, my plan when I was 18 was to move to Los Angeles and... Uh, they talked me out of that. Mm-hmm. They're like, you gotta go to college. You got to go to college. So, uh, so being coming edu- from two educators, that's what you would expect to hear. Right, so, now you say educators, that's an interesting word. Is yes. that is teachers, principal, yeah, mom, counselors? Well, they started out, they both made their career in education and mom uh, mom started out as an English teacher mm-hmm. and dad started out as a math teacher. And then dad ultimately became a principal and then mom became a college professor. Ah, so, that's why educators. Yes. Yeah. So I got, I got all the English skills and no math. So what education level, like, so your parents were, I mean, again, like. Yeah. They got, they both got their grad and undergrad degrees from University of Maryland. And that's where I went and got my undergrad. Undergrad. Yeah. And, uh,
0: did you know you were going to go to college because of your parents or did you want to go for something else you might do?
1: I did want to go to college. Um, but I wanted to move to, you know, you're 18. You're like, let's, Get going. Let's go to LA. But uh, I did. I wanted to go to college, and I always wanted to go to University of Maryland because my parents had been going. Uh, well, they had gone there, and they took me to all the Maryland football and basketball games. They had season tickets to all the football and basketball games, and they had those season tickets since the early 1970s, maybe even the late 1960s. Wow! So I grew up watching Maryland football and Maryland basketball. So I thought I have to go here and- because I've been rooting for this team. My whole life, like if I go somewhere else, it just—I don't know—it won't feel right. I mean, once you're once you're rooting for a mascot called the Terrapin, you pretty much have to commit. <laughs> <The>
0: Terrapin.
1: <laughs> that, yeah. That's why I didn't go to college because <laughs> I did
0: not want a mascot. Like, oh, oh. yeah, I, I think I, so. I, I went to three different high schools. Like I kicked out of two and went to continuation school. Okay. And I'm trying to remember the the. It was like it was a terrible mascot. It was like a vulture or something. It was just so. So bad, very endearing. Yeah, no, maybe not a. It was Go a condor. Vultures. Yeah, it's like we soar. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that at all. So I thought a college must be a lot worse. Did, did you ever? Did you always always like? We already kind of hit on this with with the eight year old filmmaking. But did you always want to make film? What was the first part of the entertainment? I don't know business that you fell in love with. Was it the idea of writing? Was it filmmaking? Did you want to be an actor?
1: Or Was yeah. it always about the film? It was all well for. It was always about being an actor. I wanted to be an actor. I loved acting, loved getting to play pretend all the time. I was inspired by the old James Bond films. My parents, every time a James Bond film would come out- Sean Connery, James Bond, or- It was Sean Connery, Roger Moore. Mm. Uh, There was a couple where they flip-flopped, but every time a Bond movie came out, they would always take me, and I would be like our little family- So we'd go watch these James Bond movies and I was, I just remembered how much we all enjoyed that and how much we would all talk about that. And so I really liked that and that I wanted to keep having that feeling and I wanted to have other people have that feeling. So I wanted to be an actor. I became a writer and a filmmaker and a producer so I can hire myself to be an actor. Someone has to. Right? <laughs> yeah, if you just wait, it, it may never happen. So I was like, God. You know I'm what's gonna. so funny?
0: We, we we actually are really similar because, so I, in, in 2006, I, I had a, an epiphany in life, and all my listeners know that, so I don't need to go into it, but I went from real estate, which I kind of fell into, into life coaching and and training. And what I really wanted to do is I wanted to speak in front of a bunch of people, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to speak and change lives and inspire people, and I just wanted to do that. So how am I going to do that? Well, nobody hired me to do it, right? It's really hard to get a company to pay you money. So here's $5,000. Here's $100 even. Go inspire our people, Mm -hmm. right? But I found I can get gigs for free sometimes. And the only way I could get paid is I had to put on my own events. So I kind of, I'm really my biggest hat is seminar promoter. I put, you know, the butts and seats. I, I advertise and get people to come to the workshop that I put on, so that I can be the talent and show up and inspire them. <laughs> sure, right. So I, I think it's very akin to uh, writing and producing, and then starring in your own movie. Yes, I think it's quite fascinating. Um, so always Wanted to be an actor. James Bond was. Was your mom or dad as a kid? Were they both like this is awesome? Did they ever think it was like a real thing for you? Like, like because did the infatuation ever
1: fade? Like when you are a teenager or did it only grow stronger? It got stronger. Uh, especially once I got my hands on video cameras because then right. we really would go nuts and just we'd film all kinds of stuff. So it, it just increased and increased and increased and I just kept coming up with more and more ideas and this is what I want to do and this is how I want to shoot it. And of course, you meet more people along the way that are like, oh, I want to do that too and let's see how we can collaborate. But yeah, it. It was the James Bond movies that started me down that path, as well as Peter Sellers uh, in the Pink Panther series, oh. yeah, the original Pink Panthers. And that kind of inspired my dry sense of humor, because he would just he would play the straight guy so effortlessly, but be funny as hell, and it was just amazing. So my dad and I would just laugh and laugh when we would watch that.
0: I've always loved that. You know, my, my sense of humor is very, uh, very British, very dry mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's why so we Benny Hill. Well, oh. he's not really dry, but he's... No, he's something. <laughs> <laughs> but that, well, that was my adolescence. I remember, you know, late, late nights in the summer watching Benny Hill. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, dad and I would watch that. <laughs> We're like, this guy's awesome. Uh, but, you know, like my wife always kind of makes fun of me because we'll go out to eat and, you know, and I just, I, I say something that in my head is really funny. And then the the person serving will like look at us like, um, no, I don't think we have lobster here. It's McDonald's. And I'm like, oh. And then my wife will be like, well, he, he's being funny. And 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 nobody in America tends to get my humor because it's a little too dry maybe a little t- like sometimes my sarcasm is so straight that it just goes right past
1: people. Do you ever get that's that? That's the best time though. I yeah, know. Like, Cause then they can't figure out if you're being serious or not. It's and, so believable. And it's hilarious to me. Like it's yeah. so great. And that's what you got to do. Just tickle yourself.
0: But So, so we have Welsh friends in the UK and they love me. They think I'm the funniest person in the world because apparently it's like, it's like, he's so British. Like no one else does humor like that.
1: Uh, so if, uh, what do you think about Steve Martin's pink panther? I'm so partial to Peter Sellers sure. that I had difficulty getting invested in it. Uh, Steve Martin's a great actor, and I yeah. admire his work, and uh, I enjoyed keep- the film. But to me, Peter Sellers is always going to be Pink Panther. Yeah, that makes sense. What about the new Bonds? It's, I enjoy them. I enjoy them, but I'm still, still I'm, still, invested. I'm still a Roger Moore guy. I'm still a Sean Connery guy. You're a very loyal man, Chad. I, you know, and that's, an, that's a rare trait these days. It sure is. <laughs> so, yeah. Those, those are the ones I like best.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: So how old were you when you moved to L.A. then? Well, I only moved to L.A. about 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got sidetracked into a, an actual real career. Okay, so let's come back then. So after college, so did, what did you major in? I started out in radio, television, and film. Yep. And uh, I got cast on a TV show that was filming out there where I had to play a police officer. And I never wanted to be a cop. It was it was never even on my radar. So I went on some ride-alongs, you know, where, where you ride around with the cops during a shift in the police car. I while. did that in the back seat once. Okay, yeah, that's not really a ride-along so oh. much as a transport to a detention center. But uh, <laughs> True. The, the ride-along is where you're, like, in the front seat and just racing around doing all the cool stuff. And I rode in a pretty busy, active part of town where there was a lot of crime, And it just blew me away. I was like, wow, this is really exciting. I I think I want to explore this. I want to do this for a little bit. So I changed my major to criminology and criminal justice. And uh, when I graduated, I said I'm going to be a cop for a couple years. And so I sought out like a very active, busy area to be a police officer.
0: So you changed your major
1: to criminal justice. Yes. I should add that one of the reasons that was an attractive option for me was because there was no foreign language and only one math requirement. (laughs) And as we already covered. Math was not my strong point. So I was like, oh,
0: yeah, I like that. That sounds great. But this is interesting. So you said but you just said that you figured you'd do it for a couple of years. Yeah. So what was the thought process behind like being a cop as a temporary thing? What was the idea? let me make some money and then get back into film, or let me do a career where I can get healthcare or it, it'll be
1: fun for a minute. And then I'll go back to, what, what was the thought process? The, the thought process for me was that this is fun. This is going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of adrenaline rushes and there's going to be an opportunity to actually hopefully help people make a difference. You know, you're young, you're idealistic. You're like, I'm going to make a big difference. And then, you know, the reasons for staying with it, evolve, but that was what set me down that path. And I said, I'm only going to do this a couple years and I'm going to move to LA because that's my real passion. But that quickly, well, over 10 years, it turned into 10 years and I was still doing it. So 10 years as a police officer, 10 years as a police officer. And, uh, what, what kind of capacity, what were you? Every time I would get either bored with it or ready to move to LA, I'd either get promoted or reassigned to do something else that would keep me interested for another year or so. And I'd be like, okay, I'll stay and I'll do this. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to move. Oh, you're promoted. Oh, you're promoted. Oh, you get assigned to this. So I got to do so much. I was a firearms instructor in the police academy. I got to teach all the new recruits how to shoot. Uh, uh, I was a training officer. So when guys would graduate from the academy, they ride around with a training officer for about 90 working days. So that would be me. So I got to teach people. And enjoyed- you're doing ride-alongs Yeah, for them. Yeah. I enjoyed teaching. I, I think maybe because of Educator parents, but I worked as a detective for a while. I, I was promoted to sergeant, where I had uh, uh, my own squad of guys, and then I made lieutenant. So I got to do. It's quite a decorated career. Sounds it was, like. it, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. It something, was very rewarding. Something to be proud rewarding. of for sure. Thanks. Yeah, I, I am quite proud of it, and the camaraderie and the the friendships that you build through that are lifelong. But just eventually, a, it became time to pursue what I really absolutely wanted.
0: Absolutely amazing. Do. I just. Like like, when I met you, I just I didn't peg you, right and uh and it's interesting that sometimes i th- I think in in the police in the police force I, I I think many people might, maybe just not me, but we would tend to kind of get like a picture in our mind of, oh, this is like you know this is what a cop does, and this mm-hmm. is who he is and and you don't think a uh, comedian and writer and creative as a cop. It's like it seems like two different things. I, th- I feel like when I was a teenager i' I wouldn't have minded meeting you even if I was in trouble.
1: Probably not. You like probably, I was, or I would have hated you. It was pretty cool. I mean unless you were <laughs> you nasty, cool. unless you were nasty to me, I wasn't gonna be nasty to anybody. Right. In fact that was kind of kind of where the stand up comedy seed got planted. Because I found especially when you're working in kind of an impoverished area or a very uh crime ridden area, a lot of the folks that live in that area have had exposure to police before and many of them have had contacts with the police or been arrested. So they already have quite a preconceived notion of how that contact with me is going to go when I get, when I show up, when I'm the Caucasian police officer that shows up in an area that's 88% African-American and they already have an idea. And it might be a negative idea. Yeah, and it generally was. Yeah. So if I could come into that and crack a couple jokes or get people laughing or point out something that was funny and then we all laugh and it's like okay everybody's human let's just get through this and then it's far more relaxed than having everybody on edge did you have any brothers and sisters growing up i did not just you just me that explains a lot oh really (laughs) just kidding (laughs) i don't even
0: know what that means exactly but so only child do you do you feel like uh, were you funny as a kid i
1: don't know i didn't have an audience well, you had your parents. I did, and you well, had all your friends that you showed the film to. Not only that, I, I used to do puppet shows. Did you? Yeah, I would do. I would build these paper mache puppets. This is getting good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would build these paper mache puppets, and I would put on puppet shows from behind the couch, and I would just do all the voices and all the and again, audience of two, one, or none. Well, it would it would at least be my parents, and then you know sometimes the neighborhood friends or the, it was usually the relatives the relatives would not come over and they'd be like chad put on one of your puppet shows did and, you comp them tickets or did you charge and comp them tickets That's cool. um uh, tips were encouraged but uh and but, i did have an audience never included <laughs> never included <laughs> i had an audience at least when i went behind the couch like i don't know what they were doing when i was just sticking my hands up doing that stuff but yeah so
0: and, and for, mm. the, for the record for the listeners he was just sticking his hands in the air yeah, like I'm doing right yeah. now but you can't see it Absolutely. which is really fun yeah
1: it was just there you go see my hands up see how my voice changes so we have so we have a puppeteer uh, well no I'm definitely not a puppeteer so we have I a puppeteer have
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have a puppeteer we have a filmmaker as a young boy
1: do you know what I wanted to be when I was a kid what
0: an ice cream man
1: you, wait, I also I want to be a dump truck guy I wanted to the trash man why did you save the best for last? Because it just occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you wanted to be a, a, a trash man? Like three to seven. I and wanted to be a trash man. What was the thought? I, I, was, I loved watching the trash truck come down yes. the street. And then the guy would get out and he would pull that compactor lever. And the thing would just, you know, crush er, everything. And I was looks- just fascinating me. Like that was a highlight of my day. I'd rush to watch that. And one time I was so, like, I kept bugging my parents about it. So my dad took me out there and said, hey, he wants to be a trash man when he grows up, which they loved. They're like, what? (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, Amazing. They let me pull the lever to compact the trash compactor, but I wasn't strong enough. So that's when my days of wanting to be a trash man kind of ended. Oh. Yeah. But I used to, this is what I used to do. I feel like that's heartbreaking. Matt, I would, I would, I had a little toy trash truck and in the hallway of our, of our house... In front of every door, I would rip up all these little pieces of paper and that would be the trash. And I'd have the trash set out in front of all the doors and I would push this dump truck on my hands and knees around to each door and load up all the broken pieces of paper into the trash truck.
0: I love Maggie's over here losing (laughs) her mind at that story. That is so good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good times. Good times. so, So we all have that though
0: so so here here's mine so i used to watch the ice cream man right yeah and i just thought as a kid i mean ice cream's awesome but i thought what better job could you have than have your own ice cream truck like if i owned the ice cream truck i could have as much ice cream as i want and i would never have to worry about asking my dad for change Mm -hmm. which would be amazing because he didn't always give me extra change and so i wrote a note when i was like seven or eight years old and I said, Mom, I'm running away to become an ice cream man. <laughs> it was my plan. And then I put it in my top drawer and I left it there because I wasn't ready to move away yet. Like I wasn't ready to run away yet, but I, I wanted to get it like, okay, now I got the note. right? Like, the note ready. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go when the time is right. And then I forgot about it. And my mom found it uh, uh, months later. She's like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but that was my dream. It was like if I could just become an ice cream man, uh, then my life
1: would be complete. There's still time. I mean- there's and, nothing that says we we can't still chase those childhood and, aspirations. And, I'm probably yeah. strong enough to pull that lever on that trash compactor, and you probably could have your own ice cream truck.
0: But here's the thing. Today, I don't even think there is a lever anymore. There's probably just a button. It's just a robot. And <laughs> it's not even like anything anyone does. And have you seen an ice cream man in 2018? They're horrendous. I mean, I, good luck for these guys. There's an ice cream truck that comes around our neighborhood sometimes. Yeah, the only... I mean, And it just... You're right. It sells like... They're a little creepy. Yeah, like hot, spicy Mexican candy, and and a couple... They don't have... um candy cigarettes anymore and all the stuff from you know the 80s back when you could like sell fake cigarettes to kids i mean
1: i did find a soft serve truck it was like it was very wasn't like the ones we had as a kid with this ice cream stickers all over it and the prices but it yes. was like this nice ice cream truck and it was parked on ventura boulevard of ventura and laurel canyon and i guess in the summertime he parks in front of that bookstore Bookstar, and you can go up there and you can get your soft serve cone for 30 dollars <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All with apple pay yeah so maybe, maybe i'll uh I'll, I'll head up here then
0: when when the dream comes back just take around. it out yeah just yeah, yeah. so you, let, me, let me come back on track just for a second when you decide to retire from the police force mm-hmm. was it was it a retirement like i'm going to retire now or was it a hey i'm gonna quit for now i might
1: come back i got injured so oh I, okay yeah, i did get a, a retirement from the police department oh that's unfortunate and fortunate. Are you okay? I'm okay. I have back problems. Uh So I still to this day have constant back issues, but it was a bit of a blessing because if I didn't get injured, I probably would have stayed and I might still be doing that because it's a great career. It's a great job and it's easy to get complacent when you've got steady income a nice retirement and benefits. But I'm glad that it happened the way it did because now I'm making films
0: right it's sort of like sometimes we have those things in life that sort of force our hand in a way and you go well mm-hmm. i what I, I, I don't know if i was quite ready but i really do want it but now the choice has been made for me yes so you had that happen how did you get into uh body uh, private guard what do we call this like this is the the private sector essentially did you start
1: that right away after you recovered
0: or did it take a while
1: the sexy way of saying that is uh executive protection i like calling it bodyguard bodyguard like the kevin costner movie (laughs) (laughs) which is very much what it is like uh i had no idea that the celebrity bodyguard industry was so lucrative really i didn't know that there was that much of a demand for it because on the east coast where where i was growing up in police work is all politics and politicians and their protection is all provided by the government and the U S secret service, et cetera. Sure. So when I came out to LA, I ended up getting a, a bodyguard gig because they all look for active and retired police. Executive protection. Yes. Yes. Easy for me to say. Executive protection, Chad. Yes. Yes. Okay. You Um, got an
0: executive protection gig. Got an, uh, EP gig, EP gig as we call it in the industry. That's right. For those
1: those in the know. And, uh, They want people that are that have a lot of police training, and so they hire cops. And they want people that can legally carry firearms, and so they hire cops. And I ended up on a bodyguard gig for Michael Jackson.
0: That's fascinating.
1: It was fascinating. So I worked for him um, how briefly. Long, how long was that? That was only a few months. That was probably six months. And then I ended up leaving that detail for another detail, just coincidentally, um, about two weeks before... He passed away. Oh my gosh! So I had left that detail, but it was it was wow. really
0: cool. Now was that like a, like traveling and tour and planes and trains and automobiles, or was it like stationed in the backyard at the at Neverland, or like what like what was what does it look like to executive protect someone like a Michael Jackson?
1: Well, the pop there was a tremendous amount of paparazzi and fans, so it was incessant just a barrage everywhere you went. There's lots of paparazzi and fans. But when I worked for him, he was living at the Hotel Bel Air off of Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. So I would go to work there. And the whole detail would be there. And then whenever he would go out, we had a whole plan on how we would get him out. And we'd sometimes send out a, like a decoy vehicle to send most of the paparazzi to. I <laughs> that. Wow. And uh, he was nice. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say stuff like, hey, hey. He would always say, uh, Chat yoohoo <laughs> which was kind of cool, <laughs> yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. so he kind of sang you over yeah, he would sing you probably because he didn't remember my name, but he would always say uh uh yohoo <laughs> um could you could you take this to what you know stuff like that
0: wow, it's amazing, and then so you guys really it was like the president it was like <laughs> you're, you're sitting there like did
1: you talk into your uh into your wrist? Yeah, that was a suit the and tie detail. The eagle has left the nest. Was, the eagle yeah, has left the nest. That was a suit and tie detail. So it was very, looked like Secret Service. Oh, man,
0: that's uh, that's incredible. So you moved on, mm-hmm. and did you go right to the Playboy Mansion after
1: that? I worked at a... Because this is nuts. Another couple... Uh, well, I worked at one more detail after that, and mm-hmm. I worked there for um, a couple years. And then I moved on to the Playboy Mansion. They're like, hey, Chad, um, the detail at the Playboy Mansion as a vacancy. Do you think you would be interested in that? And I was like, duh. Obviously Uh, not. Yeah. (laughs) uh, uh, When do I start? So I ended up doing that at the Playboy Mansion, and sometimes a Playboy corporate office, but four and a half, four and a half years working at Playboy. Four and a half years that uh, I can't even begin to imagine. It was amazing. (laughs) It was it was amazing. It was amazing. And we had an employee party every, every summer. Uh, at the mansion, so they we'd have an like, uh, open bar, and they'd bring in entertainment, and we'd just be drinking, and they'd have these big water slides, and we'd be swimming, and it was amazing.
0: That sounds outstanding. Hang it in was the grotto.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you have any, uh, any interesting memories,
0: something that, I don't know, occurred there, something clean that you can say on air? This is a family
1: show. I have some interesting <laughs> memories that occurred there. I'll tell you my, one of my most interesting things for me, people are like, oh, was it the girls? But there was a bird that lived there on the, on the property. There was this African crane that was just like four feet tall, like a five or six foot wingspan. Didn't let anybody near her, but she took a liking to me. So she would just follow me around, and greet me all the time. So she would spend a lot of time hanging out with me because there was a lot of time you're just hanging out at. The Playboy Mansion. So she would just show up, and we'd hang out, and she'd follow me around, and it was it was just pretty. Became cool. friends. Yep. Spot the African crane. So uh, so if, your playmate
0: was a four foot yep tall yeah. African crane. That's has yep. got got
1: a little awkward around mating season, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to let her down easy. It's not you, Spot. It's it's me. It's me. I have it's to my, fly my, south for the winter. It's, it's not you. You're a beautiful bird. You are so pretty, but it's just it's just not it's not going to happen. <laughs> so. But we had three of those birds there, and there was one that was named Carl, and he was just a jerk. He was such a jerk, and it was very hard to disseminate or uh, figure figure out which one was which. So differentiate, differentiate. I Thank you. The word That's you're, the word I was looking for. Differentiate, for. and Carl would attack everybody.
0: So is that how you knew the difference? Then you're like, "Oh, this is not my girlfriend." I this began is Carl. to find
1: the subtle differences. Uh, um, Carl had his toes were all straight. Spots middle toes were bent fascinating yeah you spent a lot of time with these birds i did i did (laughs) i could could be an ornithologist now
0: which i don't even know what that is but i'm assuming in context (laughs) (laughs) so so during this whole time your your playboy mansion for four and a half years Mm -hmm. your executive protection detail at the playboy mansion yes are you still writing are you are you going after film what what does the four and a half years look like in your film career
1: I was working my butt off while I was working these details. and So uh, all of them? Yeah. And I was writing the whole time. I was writing. I, I, I had gotten a, a show sold to Fox called... Uh, I started making sketch comedy videos first. I would do sketch comedy, like SNL style, yeah. mad TV mad style. Matt TV style, yeah. And I was making all these shows and just putting them on youtube or in funny or die so i had a bunch of different series different web series comedy web series You it for fox digital was it not yet oh not yet this okay. was just on my own you're just doing it just, okay just, okay, doing it, just it. you just creating content and getting it out there and i'd sent them out to all the different studios not really expecting to hear anything but i got a call from fox um while i I was also studying at Groundlings, which is a big improv school in Don't, L.A. Groundlings is huge. Yeah. It's like the improv school. It is one of the places that SNL draws a lot of their talent right. from. John Lovitz studied there? Yes, he did. Several other people, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, John Lovitz was one who I would run into on a number of occasions at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> it always comes full circle. It does. It does. When John Lovitz is involved. So Fox called and they said, we saw Healthy Tips, which was one of your... Sketches And it was very Benny Hill-esque. And uh, they're like, we love Healthy Tips, um, and we love this game show that you do. We'd love to have a meeting. So I set up a meeting, went in, and they ended up buying a pilot from me called the Chad Ridgely Show that they produced. So I wrote it, they produced it, It ended up not going anywhere. But that was my first kind of getting my toes dipped into the the TV film pool. What was your reaction when Fox reaches out and says,
0: we want to talk with you? And then after the meeting we want to buy a pilot, we're going to produce
1: this pilot, we're going to see where it goes. What, what's the drive home look like for Chad Ridgely? I was on cloud nine, of course. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. This is happening. This is really going to be happening. Of course, this was 2010. So just to get that, though, was a huge, huge win, a huge yeah. success, and so validating, because it meant that the stuff that I thought was funny Somebody else thought it was funny. Not just somebody else, but Fox. So, right. This is not your parents or their right.
0: relatives or your kids in the neighborhood. This is Fox. Yes. Saying, because if they say we think it's funny, that means we think we can sell. Exactly. Right. Which is huge. Um, it, I want to just kind of hit on this point for a second, because what I really appreciate was that honesty of like how exciting it is to like land a pilot. But then, you know, it's, it's the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, because then you're waiting for the pilot to get picked up and it doesn't get picked up. Right. Right. Right how like what's that process like for you in your head in your emotions like what do you say are you like damn it didn't get picked up oh well let's go on the next one or was it like three days of of fritos and ice cream and depression like what's Mm -hmm. what's your process as as a creative person for yes no and then get back into it because i think all of us have that or we're gonna have that moment in business and and we got to figure out how to how to how to approach it in the healthiest way possible what was it like for you after with the fox pilot
1: well the the realization that it's not going in anywhere isn't just uh okay on this day you're going to know. I mean it's a slow uh, process where it's like well maybe you'll hear something oh they send you know they're trying to do this okay well, maybe you'll hear something eventually it it kind of just settles in that it, it's not going anywhere. So it's more of a fizzle it's not like it a, is. it's they never call you back 3 weeks later and say i'm sorry we're just not interested. Right you it just kind of languishes. Oh that's <laughs> yeah. So but that's okay because there's a number of different ways that you can respond to it. For me, I focus on the win. Getting Fox to produce a show called the Chad Ridgely Show is is a one in a million chance. There's so many people that come to LA. There's so many people that try or half-heartedly try, and nothing ever happens. Right. So just to get in the door for the meeting was a win. To have them say, yeah, we like this. Send us a bunch of sketches is a win. Having them read them and say... Come back in, and then hey, we want to do this. What do you need from us? Is such a win, and it's a good thing it happened because it. I was hooked at that point. Right. I had a taste of. I got a taste for the blood. Right, and I was like, okay, I'm. I'm just going to keep going until I get this, and that didn't. So do you think like, hey, so if I can get this, like, I'm going to keep plugging away. I'll get another thing. I'm going to get something else. Absolutely, and if that one doesn't work, you keep going because this business is all about getting rejected, all the time. Sounds so good. All the time. And it, you really have to want it. For me, when I came out here, I didn't give myself a plan B. I said, I'm going to make plan A work. It's been a struggle. It's been a huge struggle. It's been so much sacrifice. Years and years away from my family, my friends, many times not knowing if you're going to be able to pay for everything, you know, keep the roof over your head. But I've I've never quit on myself. And that's something that was instilled in me in the mm-hmm. police academy was don't quit, never quit. And I've just been keep plugging away. And so I kept writing. And I said, all right, well, the Fox show didn't work out. So I'm going to start doing films. So I made a couple short films. And then when I felt like I had the mechanics on that down, I said, all right, it's time to do features. So I wrote a feature. And then I wrote another feature. So So tell me about
0: you you also did in between though you did a lot of acting as well i'm looking at like if if you go look at chad ridgley's imdb it's mm-hmm. like you know as long as as any kid's christmas list like it's it's a pretty big thing most of the work you did is it, is it mostly acting or was it mostly producing and writing on shorts was it a lot of acting and then you got into the writing producing side of things more yes
1: yeah i started doing acting most because i didn't know how to do the other stuff and then as i observed more and i figured out, oh, I could probably do this. And I'd always been writing, um, but I'd never actually started producing stuff that I had written. But after acting, I felt like I had a, a good handle on having watched how these things get done. And I really didn't know, but you learn as you go. Like, I didn't I didn't go to film school. I didn't learn that way. I learned, you went to the police academy. Right. I, I learned it by doing it. I learned it by building a network of friends that all had different skill sets that could be plugged into making a feature and we made a feature. And there are times where I felt like I don't know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm a fraud, I don't know what's happening here. But you learn it, you do it and for me, I had to become a writer to give myself parts, I had to become a producer to finance and make my own movies. And to give yourself parts. To <laughs> give myself parts. To be an actor. You're like Rocky, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, that's sliced yeah. alone. Yeah. Very similar, right? You have to, you can't wait. And that's the thing with this industry is if you, they first of all, they don't want you. Uh, nobody wants to really help you. And if you don't claw and scratch and fight your way in, they're not going to let you in. And the other thing about this industry is there's there's so many different ways to make it to what you deem to be success. Right. In the police department, you're like, okay, I do two years as this, I can get promoted to corporal. I do three years in corporal, I can make sergeant. And all I have to do is take this test and I score this much and I get that. Whereas Hollywood, it's not like that. You can have nothing and, you know, nepotism gets you in there. Or you can just fight and eventually they have to look at you. So 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 you were definitely the fighter, scratcher, clawer. Yeah, and I still am. And you still are. Yeah, it's still I mean there's never you keep thinking that, okay, if I make this, then suddenly the cavalry is going to come and <laughs> everything is going to be cool. All right. Well, no, that didn't happen. So what if I make this? Then the offers are going to roll. Well, no, that doesn't happen. And you just have to be so thick skinned that you can take a thousand no's and not be discouraged. And many people ask me, they're like, well, how much time should I give it? Chad, I'm thinking of moving to L.A. Should, how much time should I give it? And you can't give yourself a timeline. Because there's mm. no set way. Because well, also, as soon as you give yourself a timeline, that's already starting with your plan B.
0: Going, I'll give it five years, and if in five years I haven't made it, whatever mm-hmm. that is, then I'll move back to Nebraska. It's like, how do you, how do you, how long do you give it? How long do you plan on living?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, life. Right. Are you, how invested are you, and are you willing to give up a career? Are you willing to give up everything? To are you willing to give up the safety net of everything you have, wherever you're from, to come out here and do this? That's a big question a lot of people a lot of people don't have the stomach for it that they think they do
0: what keeps you what keeps you invested in it when like you say i, I want it so bad what is it is the thing that like because right now, let's just say because uh, you've had a lot of great success and you're being pretty modest but like you've done some amazing stuff um and i know that from your perspective there's so much more to do right so many more places to go but when you look back and where you came from you've come from so much too mm-hmm. so you're in that funny space and it's just my observation but you're in this funny middle space where you've created so much but you have so much more to create right yes and and i feel like like you said we're never going to arrive and be there do you do you celebrate little bits along the way and like every time you you hit something get something the new movies out whatever it is like that's when you go yeah that's why i do this or are you the kind of guy that's like, okay, well, that was, you know, yeah, yeah, the movie came out, but that was yesterday. Today, we, we got to figure this next thing out. Do you stop and smell the uh, celebration along the way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to relish those moments because they're so few and far between in this industry. Yeah. And making a movie is no easy task. A full feature-length movie, it's not, it's not easy. And people don't understand that. But once you do it and you realize all the moving pieces that have to come together and everything that has to happen to make to just get the movie done, of course you celebrate it. And if the movie's good and you're proud of it, that's just all the best. Massacre on Isle 12, uh, we premiered it at the Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, and uh, it won Best Comedy Feature. They screened, they screened over 100 films, so that was wow. a huge win. And that's a, it's a great, great festival. Um, yeah, and
0: by the way, let's already plug that. So, Massacre in Isle 12. Um, where can like, you can get that like Amazon or Yes, or,
1: you can get that on all the on-demand platforms. Yeah. You can get it on DVD at uh, online at Best Buy or, or Target and uh yeah, Masquerade Isle 12. 12. Yeah. Yes.
0: I I cannot wait. So, um I was telling you before we went 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 live, I'm so disappointed that I haven't had a chance to 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 grab the movie yet. So, we watched the trailer sitting here in the studio <laughs> and I just laughed my butt off. This is uh I cannot wait. I'm going to watch it as soon as we get home tonight. Um, so it looks hilarious. So tell, tell me the what's the plot of *Masker and aisle 12.
1: You're you are in a, is it a hardware store? Yes. Uh, it's a new employee's first night at work at a hardware store on Christmas Eve. And they find a dead body in a duffel bag full of cash. <laughs> and some of them say, okay, let's call the cops and turn this money in. And some of them are like, wait a second. That's a lot of money. What if um, we didn't call the what cops? What if we didn't call the cops? And people start dying. It's a great premise too. Like just like
0: it's a good premise for any kind of movie, but especially as like a horror comedy. Like, yeah, would you call it a, a comedy or a horror or what is it yeah, really? It's a horror comedy. Uh, just, it's, it's just that yeah. campy
1: horror comedy. Yes. It's like movie. Ash versus Evil Dead or uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, um, uh, Zombie Land. You know, it's very, yeah. it's very like it was called one. One review called it. Uh, what did they say? Not since Office Space has a uh, comedy so reflected like the workplace type of thing. And it was great. We got a lot of, we got fantastic reviews. It's a great review. Yes. Uh, It was compared (laughs) to uh, Young Frankenstein. It's very, it's, it's, uh, it was just flattering. So I relished in all those. Yeah, what I I like about it too is it's like, it's kind
0: of, it's, it's, it doesn't feel, it feels independent, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can feel it's an independent movie, but it doesn't feel like it's a cheap independent movie. It feels like a campy, um, fun to be along with independent movie. And it's, I, I love those. I, I just love those ones. The, the ones that are super campy and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I get that they're doing a movie, right? I'm not, I'm not taken out of, into a fantasy world, mm-hmm. right? It's not that kind of a thing, but it feels like I'm hanging out with
1: you guys. And it's just, it, it's a really, really cool experience. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Love that. It's very it's funny. Like if you like if you like those movies that I listed, if you like Super Troopers, if you like Young Frankenstein, if you like the horror comedy classics, you'll enjoy it.
0: So so it, w- was that your first or is, or is that the most re- that was your first major full-length yes feature. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is an appropriate question or not. You don't have to answer it, but what was the rough budget size for a movie like this, a full-length feature movie at that level of production? I have no concept of this.
1: Yeah, well, I I financed it entirely myself, and I also financed it with a lot of favors. And uh, my producing partner came on board with all his his equipment. So, so you had a lot of like you were like a Sandlot together yeah, putting together this movie. Was, also, I, I made I made Massacre on Aisle Twelve for seventy five thousand dollars. Wow, which is but it it looks like four or five hundred thousand dollars on the screen. Just yep. be, and if I had paid full price for all the stuff that we did. Uh, it would have cost a tremendous amount more. We shot the film in Savannah, Georgia, and we got a great location, this 100-year-old hardware store down there. And the nice thing about shooting outside of Los Angeles is that carries so much more weight when somebody's like, oh, they're coming in from L.A. to make this movie. Whereas if you try and get permits and shoot stuff in it's L.A. Like, yeah, and yeah like, you and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, like get in line and the permit's $50,000 or stuff like that. So when you shoot elsewhere, it tends to be
0: better. So it was kind of like kind of a big deal for the town and the yeah, people, and, they and they have, they have really a film school down there,
1: um, uh, South Carolina School of Art and Design, I believe it is or SC it's SCAD. But we hired a lot of the the students there to work on the film. So that was a huge a huge benefit for
0: them. They were probably super excited because here's a real film coming to like our town. Mm-hmm. They get to work
1: on it, but then you're stoked because you get. Basically, student labor, yeah. which is, uh, I'm sure, much better priced. <laughs> well, we paid everybody the same, the same rate. I mean, everybody was getting the minimum day rate. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't Savannah know. College. I of don't design know how these design. industries. That's work what out. it is. Savannah
0: College of Art and Design. So, shout out to Savannah College of Art and <laughs> Design. Thank <laughs> you for all your work on Masker and Isle Twelve. Tell me about um um the the six 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 p.m. movie. Okay. Yeah. Six sixty six p.m. Six
1: sixty six p.m. Uh, another horror comedy. Um, that I wrote, produced, and starred in. And we filmed that one in uh, in New Jersey. However, that one is... Oh, that a lot is of, the place
0: of horror and comedy. <laughs>
1: yeah, whether it's trying to be or not. But we... <laughs> I was on a roll, and I was ready to just... I was ready to shoot another one. I was high off the, the success and the accolades of Massacre on Isle 12. So, wrote another horror comedy. And it's much of the same cast that we used in Massacre on Isle 12. And... It's the same production team, so it's myself, my producing partner Jim Clark, Daryl Martinelli, Emily Adams, and we all made another one. Same kind of, same kind of thing. Except this one's a bit sillier. This one is about a team of ghost hunters who they're filming a reality TV show, so they stage this old farmhouse to look like it's really haunted. But it turns out that it really is haunted by the ghost of this crazy serial killer. So shenanigans ensue. <laughs> There are deaths involved. There's zombies, cats, reincarnation, ghosts, resurrection. Yeah, and resurrection too. It's very it's funny. It's it has more of a Scooby Doo feel to it. But uh, that's uh, great. It also did well. Um, we had it after our success at uh, Buffalo. When,
0: and when did that film come out?
1: That came out uh, at the beginning of this year. End of end of life. It came out in November of two thousand seventeen. Oh, so you okay? And then it came out on DVD in February of. 2017. I mean, 2018. 2018.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, this, so you, are, are you still riding the
1: high of, of the movie? Are you still
0: like, hey, we just made this movie? Or are you in your head, are you already writing the next one?
1: Yeah, I'm already writing the next one. I'm, I'm excited for both of them, but I, I want to keep the momentum going. So, right now, I'm working on a, uh, uh, a comedy called Hollywood Comedian, which explores the gritty underbelly of the Los Angeles stand up comedy scene. And, uh, in fact, Maggie is in it. I cannot wait for uh for all of these actually, especially uh the
0: new one. Do you have a working title yet or is that a secret uh No, that's process?
1: it's called Hollywood Comedian. Oh, it's called Yes. <laughs> it's about the gritty underbelly of the Hollywood the comedian. Gritty underbelly. You the should North call it gritty underbelly. That would be a good name. Yeah, I think that might I don't know. I think t- I want something that's a little more that it emotes a little more what it is. <laughs> and I think gritty <laughs> underbelly you might be thinking maybe creepy pedophile. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? I'm going to go back to what I do best, which
0: is not naming movies. <laughs> that would be good. Man, That uh, that is absolutely amazing. So, and, and I'm assuming at this point it's also on video on demand, so you can mm-hmm. get uh, 666 PM is yes. the full name. Yes. Right? And you get that on Amazon. You can get it on, uh, on iTunes. Or, uh, yeah, Amazon, iTunes. iTunes.
1: So go grab Voodoo. it on
0: iTunes especially. That's one of the best places. Amazon or iTunes, put a review on it. Go watch yep. this thing. Redbox on um, demand. I'm gonna be watching these all night long, watching tr- Chad Ridgley films. Uh, you could do a uh, marathon. I'm I'm hooked. A horror comedy marathon. I want to ask you too. Like uh, as we kind of we're coming to the twilight of the interview. I feel like uh, it's already it's 10 o'clock at night as we're doing this. You've been on. You've been working all day long, driving up to Malibu since 4:30 in the morning. Yes. So first off, thank you so much for being willing to come all the way uh, into Burbank when I had to come all the way into Burbank. So my pleasure. I thank came you. from Orange County. You came from from Malibu, and Maggie's just hanging out because she's an awesome person. Oh yeah. Last couple questions, and we'll kind of get, get get wrapped. Is so why horror comedy? Like when you think about writing a film, like is that just something you always liked, like growing up, and you thought it was cool? Did you find yourself just good at it, or or did you think, hey, this is a, a niche business-wise that maybe I could get into where something else maybe other people have the market
1: share? Why horror comedy of all things? I like comedies. As a comedian, of course, you want to do comedy. But horror is easier to sell. So I figure we'll do horror comedies. Why is horror easier to sell, do you think? Because it translates better. It translates better overseas. Um, Really? Yeah, a regular comedy isn't going to perform as well, uh, an American comedy isn't going to perform as well overseas because they don't really have the same sense of humor. So things that we think is hilarious doesn't really translate, especially sometimes in subtitles. So the comedies generally don't perform as well as horror. Now what I found is just the regular horror does even better. Mm. So horror
0: translates no matter what, I mm-hmm. guess. So if a bad guy is hiding in the closet and stabs somebody, yeah, every culture knows what that means. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that yeah. kind of makes you don't sense. Even,
1: don't even need subtitles for that. Just uh, <laughs> stabbing, noise, <laughs> stabbing noise, stabbing noise, uh. stabbing <laughs> noise. So yeah, that's that's kind of what pushed me into the horror comedies. And uh, I have a I have a regular horror that I've written that's ready to go, but in comedies in my blood and I just want to do comedies. No, you know, how, how long have you been doing?
0: Cause we didn't even talk about, and maybe we'll have you on a part two if you're a game for it down the road. Sure. Um, we haven't even talked about your standup career. When did you get into stand up?
1: I started, I really started pushing stand up in LA in late 2011, early 2012. Okay. So you've been at
0: it for a little while, mm-hmm. but not crazy long. Yeah. But you've been at it. Yeah. Um, so film is in your blood. Like if, if, if I cut you, you bleed what?
1: well don't blood, say blood blood uh, um com- comedy 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 yeah it doesn't matter what it is if it's stand up or film or tv that's a cool answer writing. too yeah cuz
0: as, as an artist and a creator i think um yeah. Like, like for me, I, I would answer that if, if you cut me, I, I probably, I bleed teaching, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of all the things I inspire people and I, I do motivational stuff and I do change work and I speak and I, but at the heart of it is like, I always just want to like find a platform so I can teach people things. I just love teaching. And for you, whether it's in film, whether it's an improv and stand up, it's all about comedy. Um, i've said this to you before and i want to say it again uh live on air live to tape whatever this is um i have so much respect for the stand-up comedy uh genre the industry and the people in it i don't think in the world stand-up comics get near enough respect um for what it takes you have it's the hardest gig on the planet i mean i i get it there's things that are harder right you know going to war and and Honestly, what you did in in the police force for so many years, like, you know, legitimately harder. But when it comes to like just getting a task accomplished, it's tough. Like you're going into a crowd of people that may or may not want to be there. And they paid money to have this emotional experience that is kind of, it's art. And there's not really that science of like make someone laugh. And yeah, you can learn how to tell a joke, but it's not easy when someone's expecting to laugh and they say, make me laugh, go. Yeah, it's definitely not. No, I so I did a stand-up comedy class. Okay, and it was horrendous. <laughs> I loved it, but that's normal. But it was so like it was hard. It was sk- like I thought I was funny, but here's here's my problem: when I do seminars, nobody expects to laugh. Mm-hmm. So if I like have a funny tangent in my head, what I found later once I did the comedy class is what happened is I'm no good at setups. So my audience does set up and then I would throw in a punchline, mm-hmm. right? Just like around the water cooler. Some, you know, people are talking and then I'm like, oh, that's funny. And I say it and they go, oh, Matt, you're funny. But then when I had to do it all myself and stand up with a microphone and go, okay, let me tell you this thing. Oh, it's so hard. So, so mad props and mad respect to both of you. Um, amazing, amazing. Uh, just doing what you
1: do. Unbelievably cool. It is. It's cool. And that is when you can get a big room laughing. Or applauding at your material. That's the closest... That's the biggest adrenaline rush that I've been able to find since being in police work. Wow. But for different reasons. Uh, The adrenaline rushes in police work, of course, were chasing bad guys, responding to shootings or robberies or carjackings. Almost as fun. Yeah, almost as fun. Uh, Comedy is a little less uh, deadly, generally. But, uh, yeah, I love that rush. And if you can get the crowd laughing like that, that is, that'll keep you going for another six to eight months.
0: If you can only do one thing in the future, stand-up or stand-up, writing, producing, or acting in films, what would you choose? You can only pick one for hmm. the rest of your life.
1: Acting. Acting. hmm mm. Because you get to pretend to be so many different things as an actor. As a stand-up, I'm going to have pretty much the same flavor. So if I was, if, if we're doing this in perpetuity, like I would want some variety. The and, variety. And like producing that. is hard work. So it's such a luxury as an actor to come in and be an actor on a project that somebody else is making. Right. You just get to come and be produced. You get to come in and focus on performance and focus on the acting. And that's that's what I was always concerned with in producing my own content. Is I would worry that I would spend so much time producing that my acting would suffer. So eventually I realized that wasn't the case, but it's something that's, you know, when you're producing, you got a hundred things going on.
0: Do you ever feel guilty as the writer and the actor? Like, oh, I wrote that really good bit for me. (laughs) Like, do do you ever, like, does that feel weird to be like, oh, by the way, I'm the, I'm the main guy. Like, and someone else is like, hey, I'm an actor over here. And you're like, yeah, but I wrote the better part for me. Like, does that ever feel weird or, or is that like a good, is that normal? and that's what people expect, like, yeah, yeah, you wrote a course you're going to start in it. Like, How does that work
1: on set and whatnot? I don't write anything as the better part. I write it all with everything I got. So if if I'm playing here are the files guy, or if I'm playing the lead, I've written them all to be vital, and I've written them all to advance the story, and I've written them all to be just as strong of characters, even though they may not have as much screen time. So there's no, I don't, I'm not writing stuff thinking, okay, then this is where my character will get to say this. I write them all as strong as I can, as if I was playing every part. So I write all the all the jokes, all the all the jokes and all the parts as if, well, okay, if I'm not playing Jack in Massacre, and I'm playing instead, I'm playing Dave, or I'm playing Otto, I'm playing them so that I will be super proud and excited to deliver those lines, regardless of which part I'm playing. What a great mindset, too.
0: Sounds like you really are. I mean, because that. That's the, to me, that would be a mark of a really good writer. Someone who says my highest purpose for this is to make an amazing movie. And I know it sounds like you're nodding your head going, well, of course I, I, just, I maybe in my head, I'm just imagining there'd be someone who more is making a film out of kind of that ego need of like, well, now I get to have a film that I star in, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's just, it's, it's very cool to to get that response, you know, that you just, I love it, man. You have such a great heart and you just want to make good films, Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm excited uh, for what's coming next and I'm fully behind you. Anything I can do to, I don't have a huge reach, but, um, the reach I have, man, like go watch Chad's films, go see Chad and stand up. You want to know this guy. He is, uh, as handsome as he is sexy sounding in his (laughs) voice. Uh, he's super funny and an amazing talent. Thank you, Um, man. Chad, let's uh let's plug anything we can plug. We've been plugging the movies, of course. But where can people find you? What's the best way to connect with you? And how can we support what you're doing?
1: Please come to a comedy show. Um, there we go. And uh, please follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things at Chad Ridgely. <laughs> but Chad please.
0: Ridgely. So we're gonna have I'm gonna have all your social media links in the show notes, and we'll have uh, links to your. Um, uh, the movies and everything so it's chad ridgely r-i-d-g-e-l-y yes
1: Whew. yes
0: <sighs> glad i wrote that down right
1: that was phenomenal
0: that was really great. really phenomenal i can barely spell my own name let alone yours
1: and check out massacre on Isle 12 and six sixty six p.m both both movies that i think and hope that you will enjoy
0: outstanding chad ridgely uh thanks for uh again making it all the way up here final question and i'll let you go and get some sleep if you could give advice to a younger you, mm-hmm. a you in college, okay, still deciding what your major is going to be, what advice would you give to yourself?
1: Follow your heart. Don't quit. If you have a passion, it's going to be tough. There's going to be a thousand obstacles in your way, but never, ever give up. That would be it.
0: I could use that too. And, and final question, if you could change anything
1: around your entire
0: story here in your history, what would you change or would you leave it all the same?
1: I'd leave it all the same because despite the downs and there have been plenty, as everybody experiences, there have been just as many ups. And sometimes, even though it looks bleak, if you keep pushing and don't quit, things work out. Sound advice. Thanks, Chad. Thank you, Matt.
0: Chad is such an interesting guy. I, I tell you, um, I wish you could have been there with me in person. He uh he just has this huge uh this huge grin all the time. He he looks I mean, almost like the Joker. I'm talking Jack Nicholas Joker from Batman. Like he has this big, big grin where his kinda you know, the lips go a little further and he's just always smiling, always having a good time. Um, I just yeah, I, I didn't want to end, so we went uh, just a little over an hour on that, and as you know, I try to keep the interviews you know, somewhat more concise, but we just had such a good time. Uh, so my thanks to Chad Ridgely. You can check Chad Ridgely out at all things he does at chadridgely.com, as you might imagine. Of course, we'll have it in the show notes. You can get his bio. You can find out where he's going to be performing stand-up. Um, if he also does voiceover work. Um, if you want to, to look at, at getting some of the talents of Chad Ridgely into something you're working on, man, head over to ChadRidgely.com and go check him out. He's, he's well worth uh, the look. Also, of course, his movies we talked about, Masker on aisle 12. Came out in 2016, and then 666 PM came out last year, 2017. They are both available on Amazon Prime, on iTunes, and on Redbox on demand. So uh, do us all a favor, man. Uh, you know, go check it out. If you, if you like horror comedies, or you know, you like that kind of cult classic type uh, type movie, or if you know someone who does, um, turn them on to that and. Um, And, you know, support a a really cool uh, local producer, writer, and actor and comedian uh, in the indie film space. And pick up either Masker on aisle 12 or 6.66 p.m. Amazon, iTunes, or Redbox On Demand. Make sure you leave a review and and a rating on Amazon or iTunes. That uh, that helps out uh, a ton. Speaking of ratings, speaking of reviews, if you haven't already, feel free to leave a rating and a review. You can leave an accurate review and an accurate rating. In fact, I implore you. If you hate this and you think it's the worst podcast ever, please let me know. Please go on iTunes and leave a review, leave a rating. If you love it and you're like, this is the highlight of your week, leave that as well. If it's so-so, leave it as well. The point is, we want to get more ratings and more reviews out there. It helps the podcast a ton. So I guess let's get really honest. If you like it, leave a review. That would help a ton. All right. Um that's it for me this week. I hope you have a great weekend. Of course, um, there's not a lot coming up this week for me um, in life. I'm taking a lot of this week off. I'm still settling in Michigan, as uh, as you've been if you've been following my story a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this week, I'm chilling. I'm hanging out with the family, doing a few you know podcast recordings, a couple of interviews here and there throughout the week. But for the most part, I'm taking time off. And then in two weeks, oh no, not two weeks, only a week and a half monday september 10th i'm going to be in austin texas and i'm going to be attending uh, as a what they call an icon of influence at the new media summit so check that out by the way if you like it's a podcasting conference a friend of mine steve ulcher is putting it on and he has about 150 attendees i think there's still some room Um, you get fed all uh, for three days a tuesday wednesday thursday the 11th 12th 13th of september in austin texas And during the conference, the cool thing is you get a chance, if you want to get some exposure and use the leverage uh, leverage new media, which is like blogs, YouTube, uh, podcasts especially, you'll have a chance to take two minutes out of the three days and pitch the entire room of what you would be like as a guest. You can share your story or some of your takeaways that you'd want to bring, and not only will you pitch the whole room, but there'll be 40 icons of influence, including me, 39 plus me, and all of us will be listening. And if we like what we hear, we're would like to. we always looking for guests, then we'll send a little card and we'll say, yeah, I want to have you on my show. So if you show up to New Media Summit, you will get booked. Uh, guaranteed, I believe, you'll get booked on several stages. And depending on how, how prepared you are, you might get booked on dozens or at least a handful. But if you want to get yourself out there, great place to go, especially if you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're a practitioner. Uh, if you are in this uh, expert or coaching space, um, go I attended as an attendee last March and now because of the success of the podcast because of your support and how awesome uh, we're all doing uh, I got invited to be an icon there too so I will be up on the icon panel and I'll be looking for more guests maybe it's you so if you want to check that out we'll put that in the show notes it's new dot not.com.net and you'll find it there That's all that's going on for me coming up in the next week or so. Um, Let me know what's coming up with you. Make sure you hit me up, social media, at Matt Browning, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Check it all out. Get your pod on. Get your life on. That's all I got this week. Get out there and crush it. I will talk to you in a few days with some teaching content come uh, Tuesday morning for your week.